0: Welcome to Avian Bone Syndrome Podcast, Episode 5, Planned Obsolescence. episode of Avian Bone Syndrome podcast. And it has been a while and that's because I've been dealing with a few things and I haven't had much time to dedicate to the podcast. But I'm back and I promise I will not take as long to record the next episode after this one. I'm also going to try and use a different approach to recording. Specifically, I'm just going to record and talk instead of uh, planning and expecting to do much more post-processing than I'm willing to, because that's exactly one of the reasons I haven't had the time to do this, because it's not just the recording, it's the editing that takes a lot of time, and I currently don't have the time to do that, or at least I don't have as much time to dedicate to that. So, planned obsolescence. What is obsolescence, first of all? Obsolescence is the state of being out of date, essentially. An obsolete things is inevitably old, though the common pitfall is thinking that anything old is automatically obsolete. That's not the case. Obsolete means being unusable because it's too old. So something that's old but just works or keeps working or can still be used is not necessarily obsolete. So to give you an example, my parents bought a, an LCD TV in 2010, I think, or 2011. I can't recall exactly. And it came with a USB port, uh, four HDMI ports, um, an HD tuner, uh, support for logical channel numbering, and lots of other things that you can pretty much take for granted today. Um, Comparatively, my own TV, which I bought two years before, two or three years before, uh, doesn't have all of that. Um, I actually bought my TV without an HD tuner because I knew that I wouldn't be using it, so I saved some money. Um, my TV only has three HDMI ports, which effectively did lead me to require a splitter because I have more than three HDMI devices. Uh, specifically, I have an Xbox, a Sky TV receiver, uh, a Blu-ray player, and, um, and I often connect my computer to it. So I needed a splitter to get one more port. Uh, my TV also doesn't have the logical channel numbering. It just didn't exist as a service, as a system, when I I bought mine, so of course it doesn't have it, and since it lacks a USB port, I cannot even update it. Uh, As you can see, mine is older, but is it obsolete? No, it's not, because I can still use it. I can do whatever I need to do with it. Going further backwards in time, and still talking about TVs, all the CRT TVs, they are borderline obsolete, in a way, because they cannot receive uh, digital terrestrial channels, um, on their own, which is all that's being transmitted now, so unless you hook something up that allows them to receive such, signal, such signals, they're just worthless. As long as you can connect an external device to do that, you can say, well, they're not obsolete, and in fact they're not, because they're still usable. Now, what happened just a couple of months ago um, to my father is that he had this old TV, black and white TV, that he bought in Germany when he worked in Germany in the 70s. And this TV doesn't even have a SCART connector. Um, Those in Europe know what a SCART connector is, Uh, those in the US uh, have no idea. A SCART connector is the European equivalent of the uh, three-pronged little thingy that you have to use in the US or in Canada or anywhere else to connect external devices to, to a TV. Uh, you had the yellow, white, and red connectors. We had the Euroscard connector, which is a big, chunky, disgusting connector, I have to say. I actually hate it. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it's not used anymore. Um, that basically carried those signals and more. And it was the standard here to connect um, external things. You wanted to connect a VCR to your TV, that's what you used. A satellite receiver, that's what you used. And nowadays, that's what you use to connect um, digital to rest your receiver to your TV and the point is that this TV that my dad had uh, well just doesn't have it because it it, again it came before the euros card uh, was even devised in the mind of some sadistic engineer who gave it that shape which constantly made it disconnect as soon as you happened to touch the TV (laughs) which is why I hate it but anyway I'm actually really glad that it's been phased out (laughs) but the the truth is that, that's an example of something being obsolete. He had to eventually just throw it away, regardless of all the memories connected to the TV, because uh, the only way you can use something like that right now, is using it as a doorstop on very windy days. That's the only thing you can do with that, so that's obsolescence. So what is it that leads to obsolescence? And I'm talking about obsolescence proper, not planned obsolescence. The reason is very simple, it's technological progress. As new things come out, at some point, they have to stop supporting older ones because it's just not viable anymore, uh, economically speaking. And I'll get to that later. And I'm talking about obsolescence proper, not planned obsolescence. And this is especially true with computers or things like TVs, as I've said, or phones or tablets or anything that's computer-like. Nowadays, the lines are really blurred between Uh, you know, what's a computer and what is not a computer, because (laughs) even a Blu-ray player can get it on the internet now, so it's kind of difficult to tell. And the reason it's particularly true with computers is in part due to the so-called Moore's Law, which states that uh, the number of transistors in a specific processor doubles every 18 months, and by extensions you may say that every 18 months you can get something that's twice as powerful, that's not a law in that you know manufacturers need to respect uh it's a law in terms of you know like uh newton's law you know it's it's an um it's an observation ah, that's the word i was looking for it's an observation <laughs> and it's been true actually for the last 40 years so it's kind of slowing down now but uh, that's the main idea that's what makes things faster and more powerful in a way and, and yet, even though this is particularly common with computers and computer-like devices, as I've said, most people cannot seem to grasp it. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had to explain this, which is why I'm making this podcast. And when I say computers, I mean computers and computer-like devices. I'm just going to use computers for, um, for brevity. The reason most people cannot seem to grasp it with computers is that it's quite unlike anything else. But the, the same thing happens with cars as well. Uh, the only difference is that computers have such a fast pace of development that uh, most people are just not used to it. Unless they work in the field, like I do, in which case for me it's perfectly normal to read news of something incredibly fast coming after six months from the latest new big announcement. But for most people it is quite unsettling, if you will. Now they're familiar with cars, getting older and new cars coming out and say, oh, you know, this one has uh, this feature that my old car didn't have. But the difference is that with cars, the pace of development is lower, in part because there are regulations to be um, attended to, in a way. You cannot just build something and ship it. You have to test it. You have to get it approved. It's quite different compared to uh, to a computer or to a hard drive, if you will. The point is that with computers, time goes by anyway, and we just tend to not be completely familiar with it. That's because most people use computers but are not into computers, in a sense. So they buy something today and they say, okay, I'm done, I've made this big purchase that was difficult psychologically for me to make because I, I know nothing about computers, and I bought this thing, I'm settled for the next few years, which is kind of true. More or less, because time goes by, and generally speaking, one year in computer time is equivalent to five years in car time. So if you have a computer that's, uh, well, maybe not, not really five, let's say just four. So if you have a computer that's three years old, it's like having a car that's 12 years old. It's not old, but it's getting there. And it also taps into the fact that we, as humans, do not tend to really keep track of everything that happens around us if we're not interested in it. So a lot of people were amazed in 2014 that Microsoft ended support for Windows XP. Windows XP effectively was the best-selling edition of Windows, I believe, and it was one of the most stable ones. i say that as someone who's not particularly fond of Windows. Well... Some people were surprised, they said, well, what do you mean it's been end of life? That's the actual term. And the vice-war software is put in end-of-life when uh, the manufacturer or the developer just says, okay, I'm not going to support this anymore, it's just too old. It's end-of-life, I mean, okay, I'm letting it die, effectively. And some people were surprised, but they, those people forgot that Windows XP came out in 2001, which is pretty close to prehistory. Well, maybe not prehistory, but it's definitely kind of old. Uh, You would never want to run a system uh, with software that was built in 2001. Well, maybe never is not exactly the right word. But I'm talking about consumer computing devices, okay? I'm not talking about servers or I'm not talking about banking systems. Uh, You would be shocked if I told you what systems your bank uses uh, for its internal accounting. So I'm not going to go there. That may be a topic for the next episode about programming that I plan to do anyway. But generally speaking, you know, Windows XP came out in 2001, Windows Vista came out in 2007. Put all of this in perspective. 2007 is eight years ago. Now, do the math about the car time and computer time. Uh, Windows 7 came out in 2009, Windows 8 um came out in October 2012, and Windows 10 is coming out this month, in a couple of weeks, actually. So even just running Windows 8, you're running something that's already three years old as a software. Now, software is not as old, doesn't age as badly as hardware. But the two things are actually completely and tightly connected. Not surprisingly, because software runs on hardware, so the two things have to go hand in hand. Um This is not only... issue with Windows or Microsoft software. Um, I, anyone who knows me, knows that I effectively only use Macs, not because I'm a fanboy, but because I actually work with them and I need a Unix system for my work. Anyway, in 2006 I bought an iMac. It ran on an Intel Core 2 Duo CPU and I don't remember how much memory it had. I think it had, it came with one gigabyte which I updated to two gigabytes of RAM, and eventually to 3, because it didn't support 4. Weird. But but anyway, uh, it came with Mac OS X.4 Tiger, I think it was called. Um, those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, Mac OS X is the operating system used by Macs. It's marketed as Mac OS X, but it's pronounced 10. And uh, every major release has a cat name until 10.9. No, 10.8. Well, I don't remember anyway. And 10.4 was called Tiger. And it came out in 2006, the same year I bought the computer. That's what it was sold to me with. And over time, I updated it. 10.5, 10.6, 10.7. And then that was it. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't update it to 10.8. It was not supported. Why was it not supported? Well, it was not supported because the computer didn't have the hardware that 10.8 required to run smoothly. So Apple decided, well, let's just not have it updated on those old computers. Now you may say, well, I bought this computer, why should I stop getting updates? That's because if they had allowed me to install it, I would have complained of the abysmal performance. And you may say, well, why didn't you demand that they optimized things for older computers? and that's the key that's the key topic that's the key issue here you cannot do that i mean you can optimize something you can take things away like you know if you don't have a dedicated video card for instance or uh, if you don't have the specific tools uh, and hardware to do whatever you're trying to do you can take it away you can simplify it you can replace the automated surface blur with a generic pattern for instance i'm just you know talking random ideas here but You can do that but in order to do that you're actually wasting time to support something that's just too old that at some point will not be able to work anyway with the new things and it's just a waste of money it's money that could be spent for research and development for newer models or for new software if you have to pay people to support something that very few people use anyway because people do tend to upgrade their computer anyway it's a money pit, you're just wasting cash, and it's not worth it for anybody. Moreover, yes, it was only four versions ahead, uh, you know, I had 10, 10.4, then I used 0.5, 0.6, 0.7, and I couldn't get to 0.8, but it was also six years, and six years, as I've said, is a lot of time in computer time. Now, at this point of the discussion, someone will always say, well, yes, I see that, but all stuff used to last longer which is kind of true, kind of not true. Uh, it is true that back then, and I'm going to get away from computers for a second, it is true that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you could buy a fridge and it would last you 20 years. You buy a fridge now, maybe five years, six years into it, 10 years into having it and using it just like you would use a fridge, just, you know, putting things in and taking things out well, you may find that the fridge doesn't work as well anymore. The door may come off. The compressor may fail. And at that point, someone would say, yeah, well, that's because nowadays they make things so that they will break. I don't think that's true. Now, there was a myth about Sony putting kill switches, as they were called, inside their um, home entertainment devices. And by that, I also mean VCRs. Essentially they were allegedly designed to break shortly after the warranty would expire. So if they knew the warranty would last like two years, uh they would make it they would devise the engineering in such a way that after two years and a half, for instance, uh it will fail. So you would have to replace it because repairing it would just be too expensive. And that's actually uh a valid point. The the very last part of that is a valid point, but in a different way, which I'll get to in a second. Now, I don't know if fridges used to be much better 20 years ago. I do recall when I was a kid that the fridge that I was born with... Well, not that I was born with a fridge. Uh, What I mean is that, you know, the fridge that I remember seeing when I was a kid in my own home lasted well into my preteen years. I don't know if it, it fits because it was built better. I think that it was perceived as being better for one very simple reason. I remember one time we had to get the door replaced or the hinges or something, and it was quite expensive to replace. However, replacing the whole fridge was much more expensive, because back then we didn't have the the low prices that we have today. Buying a fridge was a considerable investment. It's not like today you can just say, oh, you know what, I'm going to buy a fridge today. If you do that, well, good for you. I mean, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> it's not my kind of expense, but... Um, if you enjoy buying fridges, by all means, go ahead. Uh, but the difference is that nowadays the fridges are much cheaper. You can actually buy a fridge here for 250 euros, even less. And that means that if the fridge door comes off and replacing it costs you 80 euros plus 20 euros for the, uh, the extra work, uh, well, you're just going to wonder, is it worth it? And that's something that I always tell people who bring me computers to fix. If they're too old and, like, the hard drive is failing, and actually, I'm sure that at least one person who's listening to this is probably relating to what I'm saying right now. (laughs) Hello there, by the way. You know who you are. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm making it personal, but um, what did I tell you? Ask yourself if it's worth it. Because the moment you replace the hard drive, you have a new hard drive, which is great. You know, it's not failing anymore. I'm not going to lose my data, perhaps, because the rest of the computer is still three years old. It's still four years old. And, And that's the line that you have to balance yourself on. It's not obsolete just yet. Your computer is not obsolete, but it's getting old. And I know that it sounds like a wasteful purchase to get a new one. And I can understand by all means that it may be a considerable investment. Uh, you can just go and spend 700 euros on a new computer, like it's no big deal, unless you work with it. If you have to replace your fridge, if you have to replace your, your kitchen oven, uh, there is no postponing. I had to do that myself. A few months ago, I had to spend 700 euros cash to get a new kitchen oven and the stove and all that was it because it was, it was not working anymore. You know, there was no eating if I didn't get that replaced. With a computer, most people don't see it as such an urgent uh, purchase. And rightfully so. I'm not saying it shouldn't be like that. Um, I work with computers, so I admit that my own perspective in this is, um, is probably different. Two days ago, I realized that my external hard drive was making weird noises. And I stopped everything I was doing to work on it. And I realized it was the um, the actual USB enclosure, not the disk itself, thankfully. And I just literally rushed to the computer store to buy a new one. Because for me, it's not an expense that, oh, you know, I can postpone it. No, I mean, there's data on there. It's my work. I can't afford to to have it destroyed by a failing device. Was it old? Yeah, the box was actually quite old. So you may say it's the same thing. Of course, it was much cheaper. It was uh, 25 euros. It was not as expensive as getting a new computer, but it's something that I went to replace. Why? Because it was not worth repairing. I could have probably repaired it. Uh, I could have changed some components on the power brick, for instance. Uh, that's what I've done, actually, many times. Many computers that don't work. Turns out it's the, um, the AC DC converter, and more likely than not, it's some blown capacitor. You can just, you know, if you have the time and the inclination and the ability and the skill to do that, you can just go and buy spare capacitors. You disholder the old one, the ones that have exploded, if you know how to tell which have exploded and which are not, and then you replace them. It takes time. It works. I've done it. I didn't have the time. I didn't want to do it anyway because I thought, well, maybe something else will blow up and I will still lose data, so... Why my I blabbering so much about this? Because it's something that I have to explain many times, and I realize it's difficult for people to, to get, but again, perspective, car. You have a car, and every month something breaks. You know, one day you find out that the the window doesn't roll down, and you have to get it replaced, and it's 250 euros for the, the modern thing. Uh, the next day you realize that the ignition is broken, and you have to get it replaced, and then it's something else. And then you realize that the tires need to be replaced because you've been driving for way too long with them and they're completely smooth and you're praying that it doesn't snow or rain uh, lest you lose traction and you crash into a tree. Uh, well, okay, maybe that's kind of, you know, losing my train of thought here. I'm getting a little bit too much into it. But, but you know what I mean. At some point, it becomes a money pit. And that's when you realize, well, you know what, i would be better off spending more to get a new car. Because even if I replace the tires, I'm still going to end up with an old car on top of them. And that's something that, you know, people are okay with that kind of thought when, when it comes to cars. But with computers, or even worse, cell phones, they just don't seem to get it. And I don't understand why. Because it's really the same thing. Moreover, when you upgrade something, or rather, when you replace something, an older model with a new one, because your computer is too old, actually, you know what, let's switch to cell phones, because this is when it becomes more um visible, I guess. Okay, so you have a phone. Let's say you have an iPhone 5. I'm going to talk about iPhones because I'm more familiar with them, okay? But it actually applies to any phone. You have an iPhone 5, and over time... Especially since cell phones, well, tend to be a little bit uh, more pushed around than a computer, for obvious reasons. You know, you may miss your pocket and it lands on its face, you may accidentally drop it, and so on. So, at some point, you know, you realize that your phone needs to be fixed, it needs to go in for repair. Now, if you're under warranty, you do it. Uh, Case in point, yesterday morning I called Apple... Uh, because the um, USB cable of my iPhone 6 is literally coming apart. That's a common problem. They uh, literally just open up. And that's because they make them too thin, <laughs> believe it or not. Anyway, uh, they're going to replace it, fair enough. Uh, with my iPhone 5 I had the battery replaced because it was defective. See, it happens. That's the point. It's not a matter of being a fanboy or anything. Uh, when, it, when you have tech, especially modern tech, You have so much miniaturization going on, and you have so many components in any given device that, statistically speaking, the more you have, the more likely something is to break. It's not rocket science, it's just numbers. And yes, over time we improve their reliability, but you're still dealing with machines that have so much stuff going on that something will break, and sometimes it's very odd the way they break. I'm going to digress for a second here to give you an example of what I mean. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but I am quite into aviation and I just love planes. Um, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, the newest and biggest and bestest <laughs> of Boeing's long haul uh, aircraft, well, aside from being plagued with all sorts of problems, including batteries that were randomly catching fire, and, uh, well, stuff that you don't really want to be on when it happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they found a very weird software problem. That is, in, in specific situations, the whole computer system on board would fail. Completely. Uh, of course, that's not something you want to happen when you are in the air. And after extensive research that was conducted while the whole fleet was grounded, and you can imagine how much money that means for the airlines... Well, they the engineers found a very weird bug. I mean, it's not weird for programmers. That's really not weird at all. It's actually very basic. What's weird is why it was not caught. But then again, you have such a very complicated system that you cannot humanly test everything in a way. That's why we have unit tests and automated tests. But sometimes, some things just escape. Bugs exist. Of course, you don't want to hear that when we're talking about planes, but bugs do exist and the the root cause of the bug was that there's a timer that essentially when it reached the end of the amount of memory it can use think about the um the odometer in your car you have like uh, six digits so you can go from 0 to 999999 kilometers miles whatever and when you drive one more it rolls back to zero right well, that's exactly what happens with timers and with numbers in a computer. You have a given amount of space, and you can only fit so many numbers in it. The moment you do plus one, what happens is that it just goes to zero. Just It's the same way. And this is because of the way numbers are represented uh, within a computer's memory, and I'm, I'm not going to go there. Well, what happened is that this timer uh, just happened to do that, and of course, when you go to zero, everything crashed. It's kind of the millennium bug. Remember that? In 1999, everyone was freaking out because, hey, computers are going to go from 99 to 00, and they will think it's the year 1900 instead of the year 2000. And, of course, nothing catastrophic happened um because a lot of work went into it. But in this case, well, it's exactly the same problem. It's called an integer overflow. And that's exactly the same thing that's going on here. Well, the solution to this Short of keeping the, the, the whole fleet grounded and uh, reprogramming everything and retesting everything, because every time you change anything, you should retest the whole system, especially with, with something that's going to be in the air. Uh, you, you don't want it to crash because you happen to, to introduce another bug. That's something that does happen because we're human. Other than doing that, the only solution is, well, we know the problem. Let's just work around it. And the work around, and I kid you not, I swear this is exactly the suggested procedure is reboot the plane at most every 273 days. I'm not kidding. You have to power cycle the whole plane at least every, I don't know how many months it is, you know, because by doing that, you make it reset from zero when everything on board expects it to be zero. <laughs> that's that's weird. I realize, I'm aware, but it's a solution. There was a software engineer that wrote about this in his blog, and he said something like, "Uh, I realize this is going to sound odd, but the point is that the more we go on, the weirder plane crashes are going to be. Because once we rule out everything that's obvious, what's going to be left are the least obvious things. So every time we're going to find a bug now, it's going to be even weirder than the previous one, because it's something that nobody thought about, because you know if someone had thought about it if it was that obvious it would have been fixed so <laughs> that's just the way it is but going back to our cell phone that uh, has had issues at some point you have to wonder okay i can get it replaced like the fridge door okay but is it convenient because it's not just replacing the the component the battery for instance or the screen it's that the rest of the phone is old and may fail and at that point, you risk having spent both the money for the replacement and the money to replace the whole phone when it eventually becomes too unstable, too unusable, because the rest of the components uh, also begin giving you problems. And another thing to consider is that every new model has considerably better performance. Um, the Apple Watch, for instance, which has just came out a few months ago, Well, uh, it's going to be superseded by the Apple Watch 2 next year, which is already rumored to have a camera on it. And I'm not saying that you should hold back purchasing something, because there will always be something new. If you need something, you're going to buy it. You know, if I need a new computer, I don't care that a new one is coming out. I know what I'm getting myself into. I need one. I'm going to get it. Um, I bought my previous camera, the Canon 60D, uh, fully aware that Canon would be releasing the 70D within six months. Why did I do it? Well, because the price was right, and I needed a new camera. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to take the risk. And actually, uh, Canon took longer than the expected period of time to release the 70D, so I could say that I used the latest for longer. But <laughs> see, that's something that that's really important to keep in mind. When you replace something, or rather, when something new replaces what you have on the shelves, It doesn't make your device older. It doesn't make it stop working. When the 70D came out, it's not like my own 60D suddenly realized, oh my God, you know, I'm old, I'm gonna kill myself. No, I kept going and going and going. In some cases, it's really counterproductive to buy the newest version of something, the newest revision, rather, because when it's hardware, it's called revision. When the MacBook Air came out, and again, I keep talking about Apple because it's what I'm most familiar with. When the MacBook Air came out several years ago, the first revision was a great concept, but it really fell short in every other way. Because, yeah, it's really light, it's really cool, but it sucks. And it took several revisions to get to something that was usable and worth the money. So, generally speaking, you don't want to buy the first revision of anything. The Apple Watch, yeah, it's cool, but rest assured that Apple Watch 2 is going to be much better. Of course, every new version, every new revision is better than the previous one, but uh, usually revision 2 is much, much better than revision 1. Because it's obvious they learned from all the mistakes, all the glitches that couldn't be caught in the lab. See, it's exactly like the plane. Nobody thought of testing something like, hey, let's make this timer roll until it goes back to zero. Uh, nobody thought about it. It was not included. It just completely escaped something. And in some cases there are, and I say this as a software developer, you cannot humanly consider all the possibilities of what may go wrong or all the conditions that your user may use your product. I may plan for a GPS app to do something. Okay. But if you go to the North Pole, where everything you look is South, it may break. See, it's something that nobody, I'm sure nobody of my listeners would have ever thought about, but that's one possibility. You know, it's very unlikely, it's not obvious, but it may happen. Um, Which is not to say that GPS apps don't work at the polls. I'm just saying that, you know, if you're looking for something that's done without taking specific cases into account, uh, things may break. And also, conversely, buying an older revision of something that's uh, already out may be a bad idea unless you know exactly what you're getting yourself into Because if you know that you have five revisions worth of support For your and I'm, I'm not talking about warranty. I'm talking about you know being able to update it so you can use it uh, If you know you have five revisions worth of that and you buy the previous revision Well, you've already burnt one. So you only have four ahead of you That's something to keep in mind now. I know I'm confusing you even further. but what I'm trying to say is stick generally speaking stick with the latest revision of something that's already been out for a while that's the only way to get a better deal also in terms of servicing that you may need over the course of the the life of the of the device of course something may break you may break it it may fail that's not a recipe to make sure that you never have to take your device to to the doctor but You know, it's a good approach in order to maximize your um, return of investment, if you will. And this is just not only for hardware, it also applies to software. And so people wonder, well, why can't I just keep using the old one? Well, uh, the point is that it's not that you cannot do it. It's that at some point you will not have anything to use it for. Microsoft's decision to finally pull the plug on Windows XP in 2014... Meant that on the very day submitted its last patch for Windows XP forever, it meant that all the bugs that were there would keep being there. So if you keep using Windows XP past the date, you are making yourself vulnerable. Vulnerable, sorry, I cannot pronounce the word. Apparently, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm not an English native speaker, so um, please appreciate my effort. <laughs> Um, it makes yourself vulnerable, see, I can say that, uh, to all sorts of bad things, attacks, uh, viruses, and when there is no one else to protect you, you're effectively at risk of losing everything, in a way. And actually, there were a lot of people, a lot of bad guys, waiting for the day to come so that they could unleash all the attacks and exploits against unpatched Windows XP vulnerabilities in order to take control. It was like waiting for a prey to get tired so that there is no protection anymore and then attacking it because that's exactly what you are. If you use Windows XP today, you are completely unshielded by anything. Yeah, you may have an antivirus, but honestly, how long are antivirus makers and developers going to support it when even the operating system itself is being left to itself? And it's not meanness by microsoft i mean it's an operating system that was already 13 years old and 13 years old is just too long because after xp there came vista and 7 and 8 and now 10 and you know why should they support windows xp when they have given so many options and so much time especially to update that's something to to keep in mind you cannot expect things to last forever when it comes to do anything, really. You don't expect a light bulb to last for 50 years, you know. And if it starts flickering, you know, it's about to die, uh, you change it. It's it's for your own safety. Now, this doesn't mean a planned obsolescence, which is mostly in, <laughs> an irrational fear that manufacturers are deliberately pushing for uh, making stuff that breaks or that's just not supported because they want you to buy a new one. Well, in some cases, planned obsolescence is indeed real. I'm not saying it's not. As I said, there were some talks about Sony putting the kill switch, as it was called, within their own devices, which actually was never true. It had never happened. But some components in modern devices are not user-replaceable. You cannot replace the battery on an iPhone, but you can also not replace the battery on a Motorola Moto E, which is much cheaper. So it's not just Apple wanting you to shell out another 900 euros on a phone. Uh, Motorola wants me to shell out another 143 when my Motorola dies, or at least go to them to replace the battery, which they will no doubt sell me at a premium, right? With computers, uh, the trend is to make things soldered on the motherboard. Unfortunately, Apple uh, has been doing this for a while, I actually bought the MacBook Pro, the 2013 version, in 2014. I effectively went against my own recommendation, and I bought something that was older, because I wanted to be able to upgrade my memory on my own with off-the-shelf parts. I wanted to be able to replace the hard drive, because you cannot just disorder that. It's not like that, you know, it's not like replacing the capacitors in a power brick, as I mentioned earlier. You cannot do that. And in some cases, they have a good reason to do so. If you want to make things too thin, or at least if you want to make them thinner, you have to do away with the traditional shapes of hard drives or with the traditional shape of memory in order to fit in a, in a thinner body of the device. In some cases, it's also done deliberately, so you cannot do that. And you, you cannot even actually go to someone and say, Hey, Apple, can you upgrade my memory? No, you have to buy a computer with that amount of memory to begin with, which is something that I personally do hate. I bought a Mac Mini in 2012, and I replaced the memory twice. I bought it with 4 gigabytes, and I updated it to 8 as soon as I got home. And then last year, uh, no, actually in January this year, I upgraded it to uh, 16 gigabytes. And I only bought memory and I did it myself. That's actually not difficult at all. You don't even have to use a screwdriver on the Mac Mini. And there are cases in which competitors did agree on a cartel to artificially limit the performance of something. Uh, the most well-known case of this is the, the Phoebus cartel, I think it's called, um, which happened in the 20s and all the way until 1939, shortly before the war, in which big brands like uh, Osram and Philips and General Electric I think agreed on artificially building light bulbs all of them so that they wouldn't last more than 1000 hours and this is only possible in a cartel where everyone agrees on that because otherwise as soon as you have one manufacturer says well mine lasts 1500 hours not just 1000 they get a competitive advantage and it forces the whole market to go back to competition. Which is exactly why today manufacturers and developers cannot spend too much money supporting older revisions and versions because if they spend money on that, it's money that cannot be spent on research and development. And if they don't do it, someone else will and then the competitor will have a competitive advantage. If I have to spend my money supporting a device that's four years old, I cannot spend money to make a new and better battery for the new model, whereas my competitor will, and people will flock to my competitor. And it's again, it's a fine line, especially considering that people will be buying the new models anyway. So your older base at some point becomes something that you can let go. You say, you know what, I only have 2.5% people still using that. Do I really need to invest the money to support... 2.5% of people. Isn't it better just to concentrate on the new model that those people may eventually be getting anyway? So yeah, sometimes you end up being in that small part, like I did with my iMac. I was like, well, okay, I cannot update. This really sucks, but, um, the computer was getting old and it I started having issues and I said, well, I take the opportunity to upgrade to a new machine all together, where everything is new and I'm set for another five years, for instance. That's how it works. Um, how do you avoid all of this? How do you avoid the, the pitfall of planned obsolescence or perceived planned obsolescence? How do you avoid the anger? <laughs> because that's what it is. I can relate to that. Uh, when you bring your computer to someone like me and I tell you, this is really not worth fixing. I go against my own interest. Uh, if you give me a hundred euros to fix this, you will end up with a computer that may last for another three months and then you have to go and spend five hundred on a new one anyway. So just put the one hundred you were going to spend on me, or rather with me, to me, well you know whatever, the one hundred you're going to pay me to do this. Just put it in a piggy bank and uh, you're going to, to get a new computer altogether. Well the solution is try to keep using whatever you have for as long as you can, which sounds obvious. But, in some cases, we do tend to to feel like we have to replace something, even though it's not the case. Replacing things is not always better sometimes you know you may feel that you you need a new toy, but the old one is actually better and more trustworthy, if you will. It's more reliable, if anything, uh, precisely because it's been tested more, and you know exactly how it works so you want to to keep using the old one as long as you can and um Again, the new one doesn't make the old one stop working. My camera didn't stop working when it was superseded. The same thing applies to everything. Devices, we we tend to forget that, but every single device, every single thing that we buy, the life of that device doesn't depend on the others. Strictly speaking, it doesn't. I have a Commodore 64 that's about 25 years old, and it works. You know, of course, it's obsolete by many standards, but it, it still works. But when something does break, do investigate whether it's convenient to have it fixed or if it's just better to get something else. I'm not saying that it's always best to get a new one. Sometimes it may actually be convenient. It's something that you have to be aware of. Uh, you may say, well, okay, this is going to cost me 50 euros to fix now, even though you cannot guarantee that everything will work for a long time, of course. But in the meantime, I'm going to stick with it. Until I have more money, until I really need it, or, you know, I just want to squeeze as much as I can out of it. That's perfectly feasible, so, again, investigate whether it's the case or not to get it fixed. And, of course, you have to be aware of when new things are coming out. Now, with Apple devices, you may just go to the Buyer's Guide published by Mac Rumors. That's Rumors with the American spelling for my British friends. Uh... (laughs) I think my Canadian friends as well, I'm not sure. So, you know, they have this thing where you can just say, okay, I want a new MacBook Air. How long ago did the newest model come out? How often are this historically speaking, updated? So they will tell you like, you know, the latest MacBook Air came out 67 days ago and they generally get updated every 257. So you know that, okay, this is fairly new, I can buy safely. Otherwise you may just wait. Say, okay, you know what? This is bound to be replaced soon. Like, if you were to buy an iPod Shuffle right now, or an iPod Touch right now, it's going to be a disaster because in a few days, they're going to come out with a new model. So, you know, if you can wait, do wait. If you need it, otherwise, just go and buy it. Because you cannot keep waiting forever. At some point, you have to buy. I mean, I know that sounds very consumeristic, but I don't even know if that's a word. But if you need something, you have to buy Otherwise, you will just stop waiting for the perfect model to come out and you will never get anything. And if you need something, if you need a phone, by all means, go ahead and buy a phone. So that's something to to keep in mind. And also, do stop expecting that things will work forever. I think that's the main issue. Keep in mind, just embrace it. Just know that whether it's the hardware or the software... What you buy will not last forever. And just accept the fact that with computers and phones and tablets and even TVs and, and consoles for video games and everything, uh, the lifespan is inevitably shorter than what you expect or than what you're used to if you're not into this kind of device. It's nobody's fault. It's just the way the system is. You cannot expect to have a phone that lasts for 10 years anymore. This is not the Nokia 3310 anymore it's just not the case you know it's the software it's the hardware new things come out processor speeds increase uh, memory amounts change and at some point it's just going to be too old so generally speaking you can expect like three to four years for a phone at most five to six years for computers that's actually the maximum you cannot get that much uh, usually but you know if you are a lazy buyer so to speak or if you don't need the latest and greatest that's about how long you can expect to get if you buy the latest, however. The latest as soon as it comes out. Because if you buy the latest and tomorrow it's, uh, superseded by a new version, that's not the latest anymore. You had the latest for like two hours. And that's not good. That's not what you want to do. Unless you know what you're getting yourself into again. Um, it, it's a fine game. You know, it's a game of chess, if you will. And just, you know, plan ahead. A good approach to this, which is not for everyone, but that's what I do. I anticipate, like my phones, I'm going to keep the phone for two years. And when the second year comes, and the second updated model comes after mine, so in my case, that would be the iPhone 6 now. Now, in in a couple of months, we'll have the iPhone 6S, or whatever it's going to be called, and then the iPhone 7, for instance. Well, I already know that in uh, when the iPhone 7 comes out, I'm going to sell mine and buy the iPhone 7. The reason I do that is that the iPhone 6 will still have a good resale value, and I will be able to get the new one, which is going to give me another two years of full functionality. It may sound like I'm wasting money, but it's actually a very sensible approach, because I end up buying the new phone, and I have the latest and greatest, mostly, at least you know for a year, and then the, the second year I have it, the second latest and second greatest, of course. But I end up buying the the new model, paying it essentially half of what it would cost me otherwise. Why is that? Because if I get a new model of something and I'm not going to use the old one anymore, any money I get out of that is actually extra money. Because something has value only as long as you use it. If you don't use something anymore and you know you won't, it's best to sell it. You're basically giving out nothing because you don't use it and getting money that you can use to get something that you do use. You know, it takes some effort, you have to uh, find a buyer and all of that, but it's often worth it. So, in essence, what I'm trying to say is, do appreciate the new things that you can get with the new tech. Do take advantage of the fact that something old is broken or has broken down or just needs to be updated and you need to get a new device altogether because, um, you know, it will give you benefits. Uh, Four years ago, when my father worked in Germany, He always tells the story. He tried to call home here in Italy from a public phone, and it was difficult to even get the line to connect. And this is Germany, okay? It's not far. But it was, you know, cross borders, and it it was just very difficult compared to now. Even just 10 years ago, having an international phone call was not as easy as it is today. Right now, I can, and I do regularly have international phone calls, with just one tap on my phone. That's literally all it takes. A few nights ago, I was made aware of how much technology has improved. Even just in the last few years, I was able to have a phone call with a friend of mine in Chicago. That's not around the corner, Chicago is 8,000 kilometers away. That's 5,000 miles from where I am. I was walking the dog, and I had a Bluetooth headset, so I had no wires around me whatsoever. I was not even connected to a landline. I was in the middle of the countryside near my house with the dog, no wires going anywhere. And I didn't even have to touch the phone to start the call. I literally just pressed the button on my headset, I waited for a beep, I said, Siri FaceTime call audio Chris. And five seconds later I was talking with my friend in Chicago. That's amazing when you think about it, that's incredible. Now, I'm not new to this kind of thing. I regularly interact with people from all over the planet. And effectively, the first online friend that I ever had was a guy from New Zealand in 1996. If you know where New Zealand is and where Italy is, that's exactly on the other side. If you were to dig a hole and get out of the other side of the planet, you would come out very close to New Zealand from where I am. It was incredible, but it was also not the same as today. Even real-time chat, at the time we used ICQ, if any one of my listeners even knows what ICQ is, by all means, please let me know, because I don't think anyone ever heard of it, especially the new generations. It was just much different. It was difficult to even keep a a text conversation going. Sometimes, you know, you would have your own dial-up line that was disconnected, or uh, something happened, the internet was much more complicated, and... The the internet of 1996 was much closer to the difficult phone communication of the 1970s than it is to the ease of use of things today. And again, it's something that we do take for granted very often, but it's because we easily forget how it was before. So it's actually uh, something that we need to keep in mind. We have to remember that tech is an ally. It's not an enemy. That's what I'm trying to say. Even for non-nerds. Because people tell me, well, it's easy for you. You know how to do that. Uh It's your job. You've been doing that since you were a kid. Well, yeah, I will admit it's kind of easier for me to even just know what's going on. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily difficult. I can ensure you, as a software developer, that things are designed to be easy. That's why uh, sometimes interfaces just don't change much. That's because changes can be unsettling and make things difficult. And we don't want that. Even from a very selfish point of view, you know, if we make our service difficult, our product difficult, you're not going to use it. And if you don't use it, we're not going to make money. So we want you to use it, of course. But generally, as I said, remember that technology isn't a lie, and you can communicate with people all over the planet, and you can do things that 20 years ago were unthinkable. You can literally film in full high definition and edit things directly on your phone now you can do things that were completely unthinkable just a few years ago so when you are forced with the challenge of having to update something embrace it i know it's annoying by all means i know that sometimes you have to to spend money for something else and you say well this phone doesn't update anymore how can i deal with this well i know that's annoying but that's why you need to plan ahead it's just the way it is finding it is not going to make it go away The only thing you can do, as I said, is just embrace it in a way. Do enjoy getting the new toy. Do enjoy uh, all the new things you can do with your new toy. And remember that technology uh, has a purpose in improving people's lives and making human connection easier. All right, so that was it. I actually spoke more than I had anticipated. I think that this new approach to recording is actually kind of uh, more efficient in a way, because I don't... As I said, I don't think too much of, about re-recording or worrying about whether I'm uh, making sense. And the downside is that I end up talking more. <laughs> uh, get in touch with me over Facebook, email, um, homing pigeon, if you have one of those. I actually never understood how you make a homing pigeon go to a specific destination. If anyone knows, let me know. Otherwise, I will research that. I will talk about that in an upcoming episode. Let me know... If you think that this episode was too long, or if I should have split it into two different episodes, as usual, do follow me on Facebook. You can go to the Avian Bone Syndrome page. Uh, you can just search for it. It's gonna come up first link. And and if you have any ideas of what to, to talk about, or if you have any questions, let me know and I'm going to see what I can do. In the meantime, and I promise it's not gonna take this long again to make a new episode after this, Uh, Thank you for listening, for sharing, for promoting, in a way, it's quite an ego boost. And generally speaking, for being there and for asking about the podcast, and literally just for being there. I'm thinking about uh, a couple of listeners in particular, Um, and uh, you know who you are, and (laughs) well, let's just say that I've had a couple of very good friends lately and I want them to know that I appreciate all you've done for me. So, in the meantime, as I was saying, thank you and stay human. The music used in this episode is Look Busy and Porch Swing Days by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com.